Thank you, Pastor Larry, for the introduction. Thank you, worship team. Thank you, Pastor Wilson, for the invitation to speak. Shalom, good morning, Gracians, here at Tanglin and online. Let me just open my tap here before we continue. Thank you. This morning as we gathered here as one body and worship God with one voice, one heart and one spirit, we experience an awesome presence of God and His presence is all we need. Let us pray. Father, thank you for being with us wherever we are. Holy Spirit, come, speak to our hearts this morning. Lord, lead me, guide me, and hide me behind your presence. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning, we are in the second session of the Investigate series. I'm assigned to speak on how should we steward our personal finance to honor God. This is the second year Grace is doing the Investigate series. May I encourage you to check out our Investigate sermons in 2021. And you can see the QR code on the slide, so please click and you can go and revisit those sermons. There will be three parts in my sharing this morning. Part one, the three bucket budget plan. Part two, a balancing act of three sets of principles. And part three, the most exciting, a story and a song. Are you ready? Let's go. When my nephew was uh, four years old, he attended a financial presentation, planning presentation with me. The presenter asked the audience, why we need to earn extra income? My little nephew's answer was to buy expensive toys. That was his worldview. Do you know why you are working hard to earn, save, and invest? Based on our psychological research, there are 10 key drivers behind. They are recognition, social status, life enjoyment, peer pressure, contribution to the society, Social norm, that means peer pressure, security, luxuries, technologies, and of course, for financial gains. Whichever is your top driver, check also if that's where your heart lies. Personal finance is a term that covers managing, saving, and investing our money. Pursuing biblical financial well-being means we utilize biblical principles and wisdom to help us make God wise, I mean, not make God wise, make wise decisions and God-honoring financial decisions. In essence, we do what typical financial planning does, but uses biblical financial principles and wisdom to filter through our decisions, the focus 
of typical financial planning is about maximizing our earnings and for our glory. Biblical financial planning is about maximizing earnings for God's glory. The core difference is our posture. One is focused on ourselves and the other is focused on God. This morning, we will focus on pursuing biblical financial well-being for God's glory and His kingdom advancement, which is our big idea this morning. The question at hand is how to. This brings us to part one. Create a personal financial budget plan. Most of us who are still gainfully employed manage our company's finances with a budget. Whenever I receive a spending request, I will ask my finance director, do we have the budget? Personal financial well-being too starts with a personal financial budget plan. This sounds basic, but how many are doing it? I did a quick survey and a mini one. There are 122 respondents across different age groups. 48% of the respondents have an annual budget plan to manage their personal finance. 47% spend and save according to the budget plan. A lower percentage is found in the 30s age group for various reasons. I hope after this sharing, more will do so. A personal financial budget and plan is biblical and the responsibility of all God's people as stewards. Luke chapter 14 verse 28 says this, For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it. This morning, may I propose to you a simple three-bucket budget plan to manage our savings, earnings, and, and expenses. Many of us grew up with a piggy bank where we were thought the concept of savings. I heard of an interesting way a grandmother taught her grandchildren. She gave three piggy banks to each grandchild when they celebrated their sixth birthday. On the first day of the month, they would apportion their pocket money into each piggy bank, one for school, one for wish list, and one for savings. This inspiration has a powerful concept for us to learn from. I will call it the three-bucket budget plan concept. First bucket, necessities, my needs. This bucket includes all spending to live on. For example, home loan repayments, home rental costs, utility expenses, grocery bills, transportation costs, insurance premiums, medical fees, children's education, da, da, da. Depending on individual life stage and personal commitments, 
this portion ranges from 50% to 70%. If you find that your necessities budget account for more than 70% of your allocation, you may need to adjust your lifestyle to accommodate your savings. In Singapore, two items that cost the most are car and private housing. Some, of course, have secret hobbies and indulgence that can cost more. Start asking if these are necessities or desires, my needs or my wants. This brings us to the second bucket, desires, my wants. This bucket includes items you may not require to survive, but may incur costs for enjoyment and indulgence. For example, shopping bills, personal grooming, restaurant meals, holiday expenses, membership fees to country clubs, pedigree pet expenses, <laughs> and maybe even include Musang King. There is a fine line between necessity and desire spending. A car might be a necessity for a family, but a luxury car is a desire if there is no need and there is no budget. A home is a necessity, but a landed property is a desire if there is no need and no budget. The desire bucket is primarily consumerism influenced by luring advertisement that splash all over us constantly. Financial institutions give us the means to buy now, enjoy now, pay later. They provide us the vehicle to borrow, to spend. We can end up spending way more than we earn and might live and trap in debts. It is not a sin to live comfortably and enjoy things in life. It becomes challenging to be more like Jesus when we are trapped in debts or earn dishonestly to feed our desires. Such activities do not honor God. Friends, let us live simply that others might simply live. When we exercise self-control on our desires, we have many resources to share with those in need. Let me share my story. When I was in my late 30s and 40s, I have uh, set my desires bucket at 20%, but I was a spendthrift. I changed my car every other year, and I only bought new ones. At one point, I had a convertible car for only six months because I didn't like it. This is in addition to many other big ticket items. I had the budget, but there was no need. Imagine the amount of dollars lost in each transaction. It could have fed many hungry stomachs and schooled many children.
In 2020, for the first time, I owned a car for 10 years before I bought a new one. Because in 2014, someone said this to me, live simply that others might simply live. The third bucket, treasure box, my savings. Let's look at the survey results again. Whilst 60% save more than 10% of their income, a good 20% save whatever extras. The treasure box bucket includes money that you set aside for the future, such as savings. It is not whatever extras after necessities and desires spending. It is funds set aside intentionally. This bucket includes emergency fund that is highly liquid for famine and flood days, savings for home purchase, starting a family, children's education, retirement, or financial independence. Now, we know a story of Joseph in Genesis chapter 41, where he planned and saved some grain that were available in the abundance years in order to have enough for the people to eat in the famine years. When famine has spread over the whole country, Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold grain to the Egyptians. The nations around Egypt came to buy grain from Joseph because the famine was severe everywhere. Friends, famine and flood days might be near us. Indeed, we are weak and fallible human beings. No matter how well we write the budget plan, try our best to stick to it and diligently track it. We cannot control the future. Proverbs 19.21 says, you can make many plans, but the Lord's purpose will prevail. So our part to play is to create a budget plan, major on the necessities, minor on the desires, and be generous with our treasure box to honor God and advance his kingdom. In part two of my sharing this morning, may I propose that we consider a balancing act of three sets of principles. First set, earn honestly, spend wisely, and save fervently. This morning, let's focus on honors earnings. How do we gain or earn honestly in our work, trade, investments, inheritance, or even gifts? Differentiating right from wrong is easy. The challenge is differentiating almost right from right. Exodus 20.15 says, you must not steal. This is clear-cut wrong. But 
there are many forms of stealing that are almost right, that can be argued as right. What more if we argue by the laws and principles made by human beings without testing against the scriptures and biblical principles? May we all submit to the teaching and the leading of the Holy Spirit to know what is right from almost right. James chapter 5 verse 4 says this, and it tells us a case of dishonest earnings from exploiting others. Hear the cries of the field workers, whom you have cheated of their pay, the cries of those who harvest your fields have reached the years of the Lord of armies. We cannot love God and exploit other people in the pursuit of wealth, regardless how we argue the case. And this cannot be separated from our worship of God. If we say we love God this morning, then this should be reflected in the way we treat others and conduct business. Such practices honor God. God expects complete honesty from his people. We should never allow ourselves to be trapped in anything unethical, immoral, and dishonest. Proverbs 22 verse 1 says, Choose a good reputation over great riches. Being held in high esteem is better than silver and gold. I'm in gold this morning, but I choose a good reputation for His glory. Proverbs 26, 28 verse 6 says, Better be poor and honest than to be dishonest and rich. Friends, our struggles with our finances, do not justify dishonest gaining and earning. Instead, we must remember God is our refuge and He cares for those who trust in Him. We shouldn't be anxious about money problems. Philippians 4 6 assures us don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all He has done. Friends, we only need to do our part, and that is to earn honestly, spend wisely, and save fervently. The rest is in God's hands. Second set of principles, contentment and godliness. This is the winning formula. Contentment and godliness is great wealth. 1 Timothy 6, 6-7 says, Yet, true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. After all, we brought nothing with us when we came into the world and we can't take anything with us when we leave it. My mother passed away on July 4th this year. 
She left behind three children, beautiful plants in her garden, some money and some assets. On her final day, her sister assured her that her plants will be well taken care of. Her money and her assets will be well managed. And she seemed rested. She could not bring any of these with her, but she could not let go either. Learning from her journey, I began to declutter my home, simplify my financials, and get it that I cannot bring anything with me when I die. On being content, Paul says this in Philippians 4.12, and it is my personal experience too. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I've learned the secret of living in every situation, whether with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. Friends, let's pursue God and be content. And that is great wealth. The winning formula is contentment with godliness is great wealth. Here is the formula to avoid. Great wealth without contentment is stress. This means great wealth with discontentment brings stress. Discontentment stems from three C's, covetousness, comparison, and competitiveness. On covetousness, Exodus 20, 17 says this, you must not covet, your neighbor's house, you must not covet your neighbor's wife, male or female servant, ox or donkey, or anything else that belongs to your neighbor. In my growing up years, I stayed with my grandparents whilst my parents worked in another town. Our neighbor has two children about my age. I used to envy them and drew. Their father drove them to school in an S-Class Mercedes-Benz. I wish I had toys they had, the holiday destinations they went to, and the opportunity to study abroad, and the list goes on. Friends, if you are where I was, why not just admire without having to acquire and do not feel envious? As human beings, we love to make comparison, especially with our peers, more so our siblings. Some just love to win and be one up. And this includes how many times Kanal Kowit. <laughs> As we make comparison and become competitive, discontentment heightens and leads us to consciously and subconsciously give up our health, time with God, time with family and friends, seeking out the lost, the least, and the lonely to earn more money. When we finally succeed in earning more to fill our discontentment, we might find ourselves having to give up our lifetime earnings to care for our health issues. What a cycle. What an irony. As discontentment continues, we can be perfect targets 
for get rich quick schemes and financial scams. Investment scams grew 64.8% in the first half of 2022, and the largest single sum cheated was $12 million, according to Singapore Police Force report dated August 29, 2022. First Timothy 69 says, but people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. In summary, let me bring this to you. Contentment with godliness brings great wealth. Great wealth without contentment brings stress. Great wealth without godliness will lead to our fall. Contentment without godliness is unsustainable. Godliness without contentment is fake news law. <laughs> Third set of principles, borrow less and be debt-free. Borrow to enjoy first, pay later. This sounds very familiar and many of us at one point in our life bought into this. The Bible teaches us to avoid unnecessary borrowing lest we become slaves to loan repayment. Proverbs 22 verse 7 says, Just as the rich rule the poor, the borrower is a servant to the lender. And some translation says, slave to the lender. As far as possible, be debt free. What is debt? Debt is when you can't repay what's borrowed, and Psalms 37, 21 calls them wicked. The wicked borrow and never repay, but the godly are the generous givers. House loan is not a debt if, if you can afford to pay back with interest. But if we buy a home above affordability, as we know, the interest rate is hiking by the day. And a negative mortgage is surely coming in the near recession. We will fall into a debt hole. When we become burdened with a heavy load of debt, we no longer have the freedom to decide on our spending and saving because we must clear those debts first. And if we don't, we might face bankruptcy. It is God's honoring, is God honoring to live debt free. Why? So that we are free to spend our time and our resources loving God, loving His people, and participating in the advancement of his kingdom. How to? Let us optimize earnings, live way below our means, and maximize giving. In summary, can we all agree that the way we manage our finances is a testimony to our neighbors? Friends, let's do a balancing act daily. Earn money optimally, 
but honestly and justly. Save money fervently, but not hoard it. Spend money wisely with discretion and control. Give to the Lord joyfully and sacrificially, but with discernment and the guidance of God's Spirit. Be wealthy, but don't love money and be content. This morning, whether we are financially wealthy, financially not much, or somewhere in between, let's pursue personal financial well-being to honour God for His glory and advancement of His kingdom. Allow me to enter the final part of my sharing with the story of five loaves and two fish in the book of John chapter 6, verses 1 to 15. Imagine yourself at the scene now. Pick one character in this story, except Jesus, and think about what would you do. There was a need and resources were needed. Let's read John 5 to 7. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what to do. Philip answered, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. Philip was the first one that Jesus went to. Philip was a good accountant and he offered a good analysis on the situation, but not a solution. He was simply saying that firstly, they didn't have the resources to buy bread and to feed the multitude and secondly, even if they had the money, it would be impossible to purchase enough bread to feed them all. Now, Philip has seen Jesus perform many miracles and his divine intervention. Where is his faith? Perhaps he had the knowledge of Jesus, but not knowing him? The second character, Andrew, who was resourceful and used his talent to find a possible solution. Reading on to John chapter 6, verses 8 to 9, one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy who has five loaves, barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? What can we learn from here? The five loaves and two fish could have been the necessities bucket of this little boy. Definitely not his desires bucket. At that time, barley was regarded as simple food, more fit for animals than for people. Nowadays, of course, uh, an organic barley loaf can be marketed as expensive healthy food. Uh, but not at that time. Imagine you're at the scene. It was all that the boy had 
and he surrendered. He could have auctioned his five loaves and two fish. We all know high demand and scarce supply means high prices. Like old tree Musang King in low season, it can cost $35 per kg. But there was a need and resources were needed. The little boy surrendered his necessities and all he had. Are we willing? Are we able to do the same? This young boy was willing to give the little he had to Jesus, even though he didn't know if what he had could do any good. There was little, but Jesus performed a miracle. And it stretched really far. Let's read on to John chapter 6, verse 11. Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish as much as they wanted. Friends, that's what God can do with our finances when we seek to honour him with them. Nothing and nobody are too little or too small in the eyes of God. Little can be made much in his hands. Be it yutiao or sourdough, be it garupa or anchovies, you are giving to God, it doesn't matter. To God, more than our heart, posture, and attitude. John 6, 14 says, when the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. Jesus transformed hearts of the multitudes to proclaim he is indeed the Messiah. His power transformed the heart of the little boy and the disciples. They saw Jesus turning a question mark into an exclamation mark. The story lived on 2,000 years now have transformed, still transforming, and will continue to transform many hearts. As we give like a little boy, we release resources into his kingdom for the expansion of his kingdom. As we release our resources, we release the stronghold of possessions on earth. As we give, we receive the blessings from God, the blessings from the recipients. As we see the joy and thanksgiving of those who we share with, the same joy works in us. This is powerful. This morning, may we decide firmly from this moment to pursue financial well-being for God's glory and the advancement of his kingdom. My treasures for his glory. My treasures for his glory. This morning, I would like to open the altar.
for anyone who wants to respond to the message and make a commitment to God. You want to be like the little boy you are saying to Jesus this morning, take my five loaves and two fishes. Do with it as you will. I surrender. May I urge you to surrender your five loaves and two fish at the altar this morning? Have faith that God will perform a miracle and transform your hearts and many lives through your surrender. You might be struggling financially. No matter how hard you work, how much you try, you are still struggling. This morning, surrender your financial struggles and your debts at the order. Above all, surrender yourself. You might be struggling with earning dishonestly. Today, you want to align your values with God, where you earn honestly with godliness to glorify God. As the worship team and the musician continue to lead us with a song, let us all arise at this moment and come forth to the order in response to the message this morning God will meet you here and as you surrender, God will transform your heart to transform your lives. We find a spark. My heart's one desire is to be The altar is open. Come we have an encounter with God right now. The pastor is out here to pray with us. Thank you, Lord. Jesus. I choose to be. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Set apart for you, my master. Ready to do. 